Cool. Uh, morning, everybody. Hello, hello. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you could be turning to uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. You can either look over someone's shoulder or the, uh, some of the scripture references will come up on the screen. That will be, uh, be grand. I think it was in the beginning of the year, New Year, um, Ben was speaking upstairs and he, meant, he made mention of the, of, of the Great Commission, Jesus' encouragement right at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Therefore, go uh, into all the earth, uh, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are uh, we're looking forward next Sunday uh, to some baptisms that will be happening uh, upstairs. Which are, so that's what we're excited to do, isn't it? That's what we are about, seeing people baptized. Um, and it also says, or Jesus also said, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And so... If you like, our, our vision, our, our reason for being, our reason for doing what we're doing right now is because we want to be a, a community of disciples of Jesus, that we ourselves are learning from Jesus and we're helping other people to learn about Jesus and become disciples of Jesus. Uh, that's, that's the vision, to be a, a community of people growing in God and making more disciples. What we're doing right now is, is a tool that we're using. So we, we, we're, we've got these different meetings in different parts of the city. Uh, this week there are four, for the very first time, four different city church gatherings. That is a tool. That's not the goal in and of itself. The goal is to make disciples and be disciples of Jesus. And meeting like this is a way of experimenting and helping to, uh, to do just that. So I was thinking about the things that Jesus commands Teaching us to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. What sort of disciples are we to be? And thinking about it, there are so many, so many things that Jesus said and taught and commanded are really strange. Um, so even just having Will reference the, the command, you know, the, the man who is starting a new kingdom speaks to big crowds of people and says, Love your enemies. You know, what, what sort of kingdom is this that's being started? If the, if, the, if the king says, I want you, everybody in my kingdom, I want you to love your enemies. just sounds unusual. The one that came to mind for this week was do not worry. This is a command of Jesus brought in a few different places in the scripture where Jesus said to his follower, followers, his disciples, uh, do not worry worry. Uh, so I'd like to read Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. We'll go through to about verse 34. So Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of one of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor 
was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So it is a strange thing to say, isn't it? Do not worry. Even now, you might be experiencing some kind of internal wrestle and dialogue with yourself, because sometimes worry fretfully thinking over and over things that we can't necessarily control at all. Worry can feel like the sensible thing to do. It can feel like the wise thing to do. How, how will things work out unless I worry about it? It can feel like it's, it's necessary. And Jesus says, do not worry. And he doesn't just say it in one place. It's a kind of consistent message that's brought through in a variety of places. So here is Jesus announcing the kingdom of heaven announcing what his rule is like. And we can see straight away it's a very, it's a very different, it's a very special uh, kind of kingdom. So in a nutshell, what is today's message? Well, for those of you who, who are following Jesus already, because Jesus is your king, do not worry. Or maybe, it's like, to some of you, it's an invitation if Jesus is your king, if Jesus becomes your king, then do not worry. And this makes Jesus very different from most other, maybe all other rulers, kings throughout history and right across the globe. Because worry is really useful for a king. How is a king, how is a ruler, how is an emperor, how is a government going to maintain order and control amongst all their subjects? What can they do to kind of cement, as it were, their own position? Often what happens is they look to encourage their subjects to worry. If I can make them worry about things, maybe they'll do more what I want them to do. It's kind of a control mechanism. If I can make them scared, if there's a bit of fear involved, then they could be more useful to me. They could be more compliance with the regime. So Jesus is showing that he's not just like some powerful human ruler who uses fear and anxiety to keep control. I wonder if you can think of examples of people who might rule in that kind of way, or who did. You could go through scripture and think, well, what examples of there of, of people ruling in that way? You could think about, uh, think about Pharaoh, what was Pharaoh like in the early chapters of Exodus? We kind of see as, as Moses goes to Egypt and says, let my people, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh then speaks to the, uh, the Israelites who he's kept enslaved and says, I'm going to make your work even harder. Then you'll have no time and you'll have no energy to think about achieving some kind of freedom. You've now got to make those bricks and go and find the straw yourself. And the people are, are kind of hard-pressed by his ruthless approach. You could think of King Nebuchadnezzar 
in the book of Daniel. What does he do? Builds this massive golden statue and says to everybody in his kingdom, whenever you hear the music play, you have to bow down and worship this statue. And why do they do that? Because if they don't, they'll be thrown into the fire. They'll be thrown into some furnace. So they're like biblical examples of what uh, ugly kingship can look like. Um, Maybe in the history of our own nation, there have been kings and queens that have just looked to use fear to control. Or maybe in in many places around the world, that's what's uh, happening right now. Well, Jesus is very different. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want to just remind yourself or turn to uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament and chapter 9. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this kind of, he was announced in this way by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where he said, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. What kind of king, what kind of ruler will he be? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So Jesus, his kingdom is one that, is, that, brings, that brings peace. This is exactly then what happened when, after Jesus died, and he rose again. What did he say to his fearful, worried disciples? Thinking, how are we, how are we going to cope now? Jesus has been t- taken away from us. What are we going to do? And when Jesus, and they'd also completely failed him. When, when Ali was singing how, or sharing earlier on about failure, God is not thwarted by our failures. God's not surprised to find out the very worst about us. And maybe that can be a source of worry sometimes. What will, what will God think? He already knows. And so, knowing their failures and knowing their doubts, when Jesus came into the room in John chapter 20, he says it in a few places, but we'll look at verse 19 to start with. On the evening of that first day of the week, this is John chapter 20, verse 19, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And you can go through some of the verses that follow in that situation. What does he just keep saying? Peace be with you. I'm leaving my peace with you. This is what God does. This is why following Jesus is such good news. What he looks to do to start with is put peace in our own hearts. That we have a relationship of peace with God because our sin has been dealt with if God can deal with all of my sin if God can work out a way of forgiving me for everything I've said and thought and done in the past today and into the future if God can work out a way of dealing with that massive problem what am I going to do if I stand before the living God what will happen to me am I just going to get obliterated if God can work out a way if God has worked out a way to deal with my sin he's dealt with the biggest problem that I could or should worry about so if God's dealt with the biggest thing I can trust him to help me with everything else in life that I might be tempted to worry about because of who he is. That is 
good news. Now, what might Jesus be talking about? What sort of worries does Jesus address in this passage? There are a few things. He talks about life. Do not worry about your life. What does he mean by that? Don't worry about what you eat and drink. That could be a very real concern amongst us. That's a very real concern in the world today. Am I going to have enough? Some of us might feel like, well, I don't need to worry particularly. Of all the things that I might worry about, that's something I can take for granted. So when we're asked to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, we would tend to apply that to other things. Help me get through today. Help me with that meeting. Help me with my work. Help me hit, hit that deadline. Help me with my relationships. Help me with all sorts of other things because I'm fine for food, actually. So for us then, or for some here, the worry might be about, I actually need food to survive. And for others, it might be, I have food, but what else do I need that sustains me, that helps me get through the week? Those are the things that can uh, concern us. Jesus also talks about worrying about the body. What am I going to wear? Again, that can be a very real present concern. Do I have what I need to survive? Jesus is talking for the benefit of every disciple throughout church history and across the whole globe right now. And there'll be many people with that as a pressing concern. It may be that, again, I can take clothes for granted, but what's going to protect me? Maybe even, how do I appear to other people? In, other, in another place, Jesus will address the worry amongst his disciples. What shall I say? What am I going to say when I'm arrested? And Jesus speaks to the, his disciples and prepares them for that a little bit later on in, in Matthew chapter 10, if you want to look there. That can be something that we worry about. We were looking at some fairly, uh, a fairly big subjects last, last Sunday and just hearing that for many people, the question might be, well, what, do, what do I say in the staff room about what I believe as a Christian? What, what do I say to friends and neighbors and uh, relatives and colleagues? And It's easy to work out what to say with a Christian with whom I know we agree about where sex belongs God's design for marriage, but what, what do I say elsewhere? We can be thinking about that, and maybe that's something we can cover another time um, to, to actually equip, but it can become a worry. Those are the things that Jesus is addressing. What we can worry about. Well, here's another question. Why should we not worry? What, what are the reasons? And I think here... Jesus reveals, he, he understands how much help we need with this. <laughs> he understands that we're going to need a lot of persuading not to worry. Which is why, in those verses I read earlier on, I think there are at least seven reasons Jesus gives for not worrying. You could argue there's more. Or you could reference some other parts of Scripture to find some more reasons. Now, I could churn through each of those reasons right now. Couldn't, wouldn't that just make your heart sink? Point one. <laughs> point two, point three, point... You know, get all the way through, having preached all, all seven reasons. What about this? 
How about this week you preach those reasons to yourself? I'll point out where you could find them. Every day you could start with a, with a short meditation on a different reason Jesus gives not to worry. Let me just, I'll just go through them. Number one, life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. We worry about things that aren't ultimate. Jesus, God has given us life. And that can just boil down to, have I got something to eat? Have I got something to wear? We're designed to, to, to know and have fullness of life in him. Why has God made me? God hasn't made me to worry about this stuff. God's made me to have life. I said I'll just rattle through the rattle through them quickly, but it's easy to get carried away. And number two, God feeds the birds. They're not lazy. They work hard, but they don't have to prepare beforehand, and they don't have to store up afterwards. God's going to provide. And you're more valuable to God than the birds. Number three, worry is fruitless. Who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? We could think about that for a day. Number four, consider the grass. Consider the flowers. They don't last very long, but still, God kind of dignifies them and provides for them and dresses them and makes them splendid. If God does that for grass, he cares much more about us. Number five, worry is pagan. The, the, the pagans run after these things. It's interesting, we're just having a quick chat about that, that word, the, the goodness of God is running after me. Um, the, the pagans run after things. In other words, kind of worry belongs to a worldview where there is no God who's ultimately in control. Worry belongs to a godless life. If you don't believe in God and you don't know God, maybe you should worry. But for those who know Christ and know God, you've, you've, you're now aware there is a God who created the whole universe, created me, knows what every day involves, and he's designed me to live in relationship with him and trust him. Number six, we have a heavenly father who knows what we need. Before we even ask, we've got a heavenly father who knows what we need. Number seven, each day has enough trouble of its own. So my encouragement this week is preach to yourself the commands of Jesus. Build your life on those reasons. Sometimes it can just be almost like, I've, I've been given a rule. And it's almost like I've just got to worry about obeying the rule. Jesus said, don't worry. So I better not worry. Now find the reasons. Think about it. Work it through for yourself in your own faith, in your own prayer life. Now finally, how? We've considered, almost like we've considered who is giving the command. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We've considered what was Jesus telling us not to worry about? Life, the body, what to say. We considered why, why should we not worry, and all the reasons that Jesus gives. And then, finally, how? How do we, not, how do we actually put this into practice? How do we follow Jesus? How do we obey this command? And sometimes just, just the negative command is a bit tricky. Do not worry. It's like saying, Whatever you do right now, don't think about a pink elephant flying across Sheffield. I told you, don't think about it. Don't think about that pink elephant. Don't admire its kind of color. 
Don't think about, is that African, is that Indian? I, can't, you know, um, I wonder where it came from. No, whatever you do, don't think about the elephant flying across the city. You know, and then all that you can do is, oh, oh goodness. I, I, I started the day reminding myself I mustn't think about that pink elephant, but there it is. Um, and it's dominating my view now. Oh, God, you told me not to think about it, but I can't help thinking about it. All because we've just heard the, heard the negative side. What do we do? How do we put this into practice? And verse, uh, verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6 says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's amazing what you can find to worry about in the week that involves preparing to preach on, do not worry. <laughs> All these things kind of present themselves to you. I was having a chat with, um, uh, with Richard Owen, I guess he's up in Shirecliffe today, and he was saying, it, it was about a particular day, he's like, Richard, what, what should I do on Thursday? Because there's all these things that would be good to do. I don't know how I'm going to squeeze everything in. Um, one, one of those options was going to hang out with some students of the CU uh, just outside uh, the, the Students' Union uh, at the University of Sheffield. Strangely familiar place, kind of the reason I came to this city a long time ago. Um, and I preferred not to tell people how long ago that was uh, when I bumped into them. So the CU have set up this um, uh, free drinks station with the idea of just inviting people to have a free drink, handing them out, and then that's an opportunity for conversation. And Katie Shaw kind of flagged this up a few weeks ago. I said, I'd love to come. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come along for a bit. And, and then, you know, in the intervening time, I'm just aware there's all these other things that kind of demand for my attention. Uh, and Richard said, I think you should go and be with the students. I said, all right, Richard. Good counsel. So I went along. Um, I, it was brilliant. It was wonderful. It was a bit scary. I know how old I look. And I think, how am I going to strike up conversation with first-year students? What does that even appear like? This crusty guy is saying, come and have a free drink courtesy of the Christian Union. Um, but then God just provided opportunity to have a chat. I don't know their names. I may never see them again. But there are two electrical engineers in the first year who had a chat with a crusty old guy about different worldviews and what difference it makes to follow Jesus. And I went away, you know, I, pr you know, I pray that that would actually have some positive effect for them. I said, I don't know the names, I don't know their ultimate response. And this isn't self, well, maybe this is a bit selfish. I was buzzing. <laughs> I, w <laughs> I started the day thinking, how am I going to squeeze everything in? How is this going to make sense? There's too much to do. And I went away just from that day just thinking, I, I'm on cloud nine because I shared my faith. It's easy not to do that when you lead a church and you hang out with other Christians quite a lot. So sometimes you've got to force it. And they might be thinking, oh, sometimes the challenge is we think of seeking the kingdom as doing that extra thing 
once everything else is sorted. Well, I would seek the kingdom if the message is prepared. I would be, I'd seek the kingdom if I'd got all these different things sorted and ticked off. And I realize in my head, that's the thing that needs to change. Not once I've got everything sorted, once everything is in place, once everything is resolved, and once peace is established in the whole city church realm, then I will go and do something afresh to seek the kingdom. When family life is totally perfect, when everyone's brilliantly healthy, when there's, when there's no trouble today or even on the horizon, then I'll know that God wants me to seek, do something to seek the kingdom. But actually, this is the God-given means to overcome the sorts of things that I tend to worry about. And it's a version of, it really is good news for us to put God first. Sometimes we can get worried about doing that extra thing. And you might hear a story about going to see you. Look, this, that's just what God landed in my lap. There'll be other things for you that God brings about. Not kind of go and do this necessarily always, go and do this crazy extra thing. But where are you? Where has God, where has God put us? Who do we get the opportunity to speak to, share our faith with? You know, God works from the inside out. I could wait for everything to become perfect, or I can trust that God will be at work as we seek, um, as we seek the kingdom. So that's what we're going to do. That's my encouragement. This is, this is why you know, I'm, I'm excited about being in these, these smaller groups because I think I wonder if it will just help iron, sharpen iron just that little bit more as we kind of get to know kind of who's in the room. We get to see each other. There's the opportunity over tea and coffee and all the rest of it just for those everyday conversations. What's coming up for you? How can we pray for each other? How can we spur one another on in seeking the kingdom, in seeking his righteousness? And then, and then to see how God answers prayer. To then to see how God helps us to fight worry, but helps us to see his kingdom come. Should we pray? Let's pray. We're going to worship God again in a moment, I think. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus, your son, was not just throwing out reckless tidbits ill thought through and unrealistic he is bringing us into a kingdom that's completely different from anything the world has to offer heavenly father i thank you so much that in your compassion you know what it you know what it's like to be human because your son has done it lord you know about every single temptation You know that it's not simple and easy just at the, at the click of, a fing, of our fingers. Oh God, you know what might be confronting us and looming large, even about the next week, even about tomorrow. Thank you, Lord God. This, this command is not some whip with which to kind of get us all to snap to attention. It's the words of our loving Saviour, the Father of compassion, who knows what we need. So, Heavenly Father, pray. Help us to encourage each other with the commands of Jesus. 
even right now, over another cup of coffee. Father, whenever we get together again, in whatever number, but on a Sunday, I pray, Lord God, for testimonies of answered prayer, of the thrill of seeking your kingdom. I pray, Lord God, you give us fresh eyes to see what's right in front of us, the people that we interact with. Not fretfully, I better do what the preacher says, but, but I get to be part of what God is doing. Pray for that, Lord God. Pray for the students in this city that you want to save, Lord. Pray for all those different seeds that were sown this week. We pray for a fruitful harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.